2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1. After this, David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go up to any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, Go up. David said, To which shall I go up? And he said, To Hebron. So David went there, and his two wives also, Ahinoam of Jezreel, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David brought up his men who were with him, everyone with his household, and they lived in the towns of Hebron. And the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David the king over the house of Judah. When they told David it was the men of Jabesh Gilead who had buried Saul, David sent messengers to the men of Jabesh Gilead and said to them, May you be blessed by the Lord, because you showed this loyalty to Saul your Lord and buried him. Now may the Lord show steadfast love and faithfulness to you, and I will do good to you because you have done this thing. Now therefore let your hands be strong and be valiant, for Saul your Lord is dead, and the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. But Abner the son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, took Ishbosheth the son of Saul and brought him over to Mahanaim. And he made him king over Gilead and the Asherites and Jezreel and Ephraim and Benjamin and all Israel. Ishbosheth, Saul's son, was 40 years old when he began to reign over Israel, and he reigned two years. But the house of Judah followed David. And that time David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah with seven years and six months. In chapter 3, verse 1, there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David, and David grew stronger and stronger while the house of Saul became weaker and weaker. Turn to 2 Samuel chapter 2. Through four. If you've been following the plot, the storyline of 1 Samuel with us, you'll know that God has rejected Saul because he didn't love the Lord. He didn't submit to the Lord's will and he didn't obey him. So David is anointed king by Samuel the prophet. David has done almost everything rightly and Saul has done almost everything wrongly. Saul is defeated and David is victorious and that's because God is with David and he opposes Saul. Well, David has just heard about the death of Saul and Jonathan and the defeat of Israel at the hands of their adversaries, the Philistines. David weeps, he laments, and he eulogizes them in chapter 1 of 2 Samuel. And that's surprising to us. Because we, as we've been following this story, we know that Saul has treated David terribly. But David is a, a man after God's own heart. He loved God. He loved God's people. He loved Israel. And he even loved his enemy, Saul. So today, we're going to look at these three chapters quickly. Kind of do an overview. And I know most of you, many of you have been reading along with us. Um, you're in 2 Samuel as you continue to do that and you'll fill in the gaps and of course our small groups we're doing the same thing we're filling in the gaps um, where we, we don't have time to on Sunday morning but three things that we learned from our text today number one is God's will is going to come to pass but expect divine delays number two and that's the main point of these three chapters is the house of David is growing stronger and stronger while the house of Saul is becoming weaker and weaker we continually see the sovereignty of God as he elevates David bringing him from the pasture where he was taken from to the throne and thirdly we don't live in Disney World but the real world and you're disappointed, aren't you, Stacy? We don't live in Disney World. We live in the real world. 
God in His grace works redemptively in less than ideal circumstances. And that's, a, that's wonderful for us to realize because we, don't, we, we all live in less than ideal circumstances. So that's the three things we, we're going to learn from the text. But let's just look at chapter 2. We see from chapter 2, verse 1, that David sought the Lord. And this is, this is one of the things that distinguish, distinguishes David from Saul. He continually seeks God's will. And he was told to go back to Judah. Remember, he's been in Philistine territory, right? He's been in Ziklag. And so he goes back to Judah, specifically Hebron. And he was anointed king over Judah. And he served there seven and a half years as king. And so this first point, God's will is going to come to pass, but expect divine delays. I mean, Saul is dead, right? David's arch enemy. The king that he served so diligently, he is dead. And now David can finally take his rightful place upon the throne of Israel. I mean, everything should run smoothly now, shouldn't it? No more running for your life. No more hiding in caves, right? But that didn't happen. In fact, Abner, Saul's commander, commander-in-chief, he put Saul's son... Ishbosheth in Saul's position as king. And so this time for David to be king is, is not yet come to be. It's not the Lord's timing. In fact, Abner, verse 12 through 32, tells us that, that the Bible tells us that Abner, this commander in chief of Saul's army, he takes 12 of his boys, his soldiers, and Joab, David's commander in chief, takes 12 of his Soldiers, it's kind of like a, a, a loser-leave-town match, if you will. A battle royal, I guess. There's 12 on 12, and they fight it out. And what happens is Joab and David's men, they, they won this skirmish. But it only leads to civil war. So there's a war between David and Judah and Ishbosheth and Israel. After Abner... His 12 men are defeated. He makes a run for it. And Asahel, this is Joab's brother, he's fast. He runs like a gazelle. He runs like a deer. And he, he's chasing down Abner. And you can read about this in chapter 2. And Abner tries to deter him and even threatens him that he's going to kill him if he doesn't, he doesn't give up the chase. Let's look at chapter 2, verse 21 through 23. And so Abner says to him, turn aside to your right hand or to your left and seize one of the young men and take his spoil. But Asahel would not turn aside from following him. And Abner said again to Asahel, turn aside from following me. Why should I strike you to the ground? How then could I lift up my face to your brother Joab? So Abner doesn't want to kill Asahel. Like, chase somebody else. You don't want to chase me because if you don't stop, I'm going to kill you. And that's exactly what he did. Look at verse 23. But he refused to turn aside. Therefore Abner struck him in the stomach with the, the butt of his spear so that the spear came out his back and he fell there and died where he was. And all who came to the place where Asahel had fallen and died stood still. It's like, I can't believe this happened. But he tried to warn him, didn't he? He tried to deter him to no avail. And so Joab, what does he do? He returns home. Verses 30 through 32, Joab returned from the pursuit of Abner, and when he had gathered all the people together, there were missing from David's servants 19 men besides Asahel. So he lost 20 men, David did. 
But the servants of David had struck down of Benjamin 360 of Abner's men. And they took up Asahel and buried him in the tomb of his father, which was at Bethlehem. And Joab and his men marched all night, and the day broke upon them at Hebron. So Joab returns to Hebron, and he is won. He's, it's a lopsided victory, but it, it's, a, it's a bittersweet victory, isn't it? Because he lost his brother. And again, chapter 3, verse 1, that Morgan read for us, there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. And David grew stronger and stronger while the house of of Saul became weaker and weaker. And so you think, it's just time Saul's dead and now David can take his throne. He's not, he doesn't have to run for his life. Everything's going to go well and we're going to live happily ever after. Well, that doesn't happen. There's this divine delay once again. And of course, we're trying to get David, right, from the pasture where he was taken from and anointed by Samuel and put in on, on the throne of, of Israel to reign as king. And that's what God has promised him. But it just, it keeps getting delayed, and it keeps getting delayed, and it keeps getting delayed. You ever had delays in your life? You ever have to put things off? You ever have to wait, and wait, and wait? We don't like doing that, do we? But that's sometimes what we have to do, right? God promised David he would be king, but his time had not yet come. The second point is the main point of the text, and that's the house of David is growing stronger and stronger while the Saul is becoming weaker and weaker. You say, well, Saul, I thought he was dead. Yeah, but his son, right, his fourth son, Ishbosheth, is now king. David's house is getting stronger and stronger because God's will is going to be done. God had ordained David to be king, promised him that that would happen. God is on David's side. And in fact, David had yet to lose a battle. If you read through First and Second Samuel up to this point, David has not lost yet. And his family is growing. In chapter 3, verse 2 through 5, it tells us about his family and how he took more wives and he had more sons. But in, in chapter 3, verse 6, well, Abner is also growing stronger. But the problem is, is Israel's side is getting weaker and weaker. Look at verse 6 of chapter 3. While there was war between the house of Saul and the house of David, Abner was making himself strong in the house of Saul. Now that's wonderful for Abner. He's moving up the corporate ladder. But Drake, the only problem is, is the company he works for is going bankrupt. Right? It's like I'm, I'm salesman of the month for my company. But your company's losing money. Right? So that's what's happening with Abner. He's, he's on the wrong side. He's playing for the wrong team. And to thicken the plot, Abner is accused by Ishbosheth of taking one of Saul's concubines. Remember, Saul had wives and he had concubines, and Ishbosheth has accused Abner of taking one of Saul's concubines. And having relations with a, a king's concubine was, was treasonous. Because what you're doing is, you're, you're, in essence, you're making a claim to the throne. And was that what Abner was doing as he's climbing up this corporate ladder? I'm not sure. I'm not even sure if it was true or not, right? Abner takes offense, right? He gets upset. But if you think about it, as we continue reading the story, you'll, you'll know that Absalom, David's son, rebels against him. And one of the first things he does is he takes over... Jerusalem as he takes David's concubines and he sleeps with them. That was a sign of rebellion, a sign that you were taking over the throne. 
Well, Abner is so angry that he vows to jump ship, if you will, and help David unite the entire country under his reign. Look at chapter 3, verse 9 through 11. Abner was so upset, he says, God do so to Abner, and more also, if I do not accomplish for David what the Lord has sworn to him. See, Abner knew what God had promised. He's been in rebellion against the Lord, right? Putting Saul's son on the throne of Israel. He knew that the Lord had promised David that he would be king. To transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul and set up the throne of David over Israel and over Judah from Dan to Beersheba. And it says in verse 11, Ishbosheth could not answer Abner another word because he feared him. He was afraid of him. He wasn't, very, he wasn't a very strong leader. But it's interesting that Abner gets all the elders of Israel together. Look at verse 17 through 19 as we hop, skip, and jump through here. And Abner conferred with the elders of Israel, saying, For some time past you have been seeking David as king over you. Now then, bring, about, bring it about, for the Lord has promised David, saying, By the hand of my servant David, I will save my people Israel from the hand of the Philistines and from the hand of all their enemies. Notice this in verse 19. Abner also spoke to Benjamin. And then Abner went to tell David at Hebron all that Israel and all the whole house of Benjamin thought good to do. So Abner talks all of Israel into submitting themselves to David to be their king. And it's interesting that, that Benjamin is even included in that, which is Saul's tribe, right? David gets stronger and stronger while the house of Saul gets weaker and weaker. That's the main point of the, the story. And then the third, third point is, we don't live in Disney World, do we? But we live in the real world. But God in His grace works redemptively in less than ideal circumstances. And you might be asking, what do you mean by less than ideal circumstances? Well, let's look at chapter 3, verse 12 through 16. David had been away from his first wife, Michael, for many years. And here comes Michael again back in the story. Do you remember her? She's Saul's, one of Saul's daughters. Remember when David killed Goliath? Remember what Saul told the soldiers? Whoever kills Goliath, I'll give my oldest daughter in marriage. And Well, David did that in his... Oldest daughter, Merib, wasn't given to David, as Saul said, but was given to someone else. But Michael falls hopelessly in love with David. Well, David didn't have a, a dowry. He didn't have a, a bride price. And so Saul, what does Saul do? Do you remember? He says, look, I'll give you my second daughter, Michael, but what you have to do is you have to go and, and bring back a hundred Philistine foreskins. Now, if you remember back months ago, they don't... They don't volunteer those things up, right? And so what David does is he goes and brings back not 100, but he brings back 200. Do you remember that? He brought him back uh, his 100 plus some change. And so Michael was given finally to David, and they were married. The last time they were together, things got so bad for David as Saul is seeking his life that they're in Gibeah, and Michael led him down through a window. Remember, he got the back way to escape Saul as Saul was trying to take his life. Well, that's 12 to 14 years ago. That was the last time they had been together. During that intervening time, Saul gave Michael to another man, which is just about two miles down the road from Gibeah. And she's been living with him ever since. So it's really interesting, isn't it, that David asked 
He says to Abner, says, look, we're going to unite this kingdom. You're going to be king, not only just of Judah, but you're going to be king of all Israel. He says, okay, that, that's, that's good under one condition. If this is really true, you're going to bring my wife, Michael, back to me. Now, at this point in time, he had not just one wife. He had six wives and he had six sons. So his family's expanding. We'll talk more about polygamy later, right? We'll, we'll, we'll address that point because we got to eat. Y'all don't mean getting to that, do you? You don't mean getting to that right now, do you? No. We'll do that later, right? Uh, we have to eat. But, but he asked for Michael to be brought to him in marriage. And you know what happened? The man she had been given to follows behind her, and they ordered Michael, yeah, you're going to David. And the man behind her that, that she was married to now, you know what he does? He cries after her. Please don't take her. Please don't take her. Please don't take her. And David takes her to be part of his harem. We talk about less than ideal circumstances. This is one of them. Was that a right thing to do? Because up to this point, David, he's a man after God's own heart, and he's done things pretty righteously up to this point. Not perfectly, of course, but he's abiding in the Lord, trying to obey the Lord, trying to submit to the Lord. So is this a right thing to do or not? Yeah, it's pretty, pretty difficult to know. It was his wife, right? She had been given to him. And they no doubt had loved one another at one time. Well, I don't know if they should he have done that. I'm not sure what the answer is. But David is no dummy, right? If Michael's back with him, several things would happen. It would show that he harbors no ill will to the house of Saul, because after all, this is not only Saul's daughter, but it's Ishbosheth's sister. He will also demonstrate as a son-in-law that he has a legitimate right to the throne. And last but not least, he will enlist the support of the Benjamites, because Saul, of course, was from the tribe of Benjamin. But still, it's a difficult thing to do and to answer, was this the right decision? Another less than ideal circumstance has to do with Abner. He comes to see David at Hebron, and Joab is plotting and scheming to take his life. And why is that? Because he's still mad at Abner because Abner had killed his brother. Even though it was in an act of war, it was during a battle, he still holds resentment towards Abner. And so what does Joab do in chapter 3? He lies, brings Abner back to Hebron, and he murders him. Not in an act of war, but it was a cold-blooded murder. So what does David do? He responds by cursing Joab and his family. He makes Joab tear his clothes and mourn. He makes Joab attend the funeral, and David is the chief mourner at the funeral. Look at verse 33 and 34 of, of chapter 3. And the king lamented for Abner, saying, Should Abner die as a fool dies? Your hands were not bound, your feet were not fettered. As one falls before the wicked, you have fallen. So who's the wicked? Joab, right? So he makes Joab look bad at the funeral. But he's letting everybody know, I had nothing to do with this innocent man's death. Here Abner was trying to unite the kingdom, and Joab, his commander-in-chief, murders him. Yeah, it's kind of a messy situation, isn't it? David was innocent, but Joab was guilty. Another less than ideal circumstance here in chapter 4 is poor Oishbosheth. What happened to Oishbosheth? He was going to lose his kingdom, but before that happens, he was murdered by two of his own men. 
He was sleeping in his bed in chapter 4, and he was killed there. And after that, he was beheaded, and his head was brought to David. And do you remember in chapter 1, the Amalekite that brought news of Saul's death to David? He comes to David thinking he's bringing him good news. He has the crown. He has an armlet. He's thinking, man, David's going to reward me. I'm going to be in good standing with the new king. But what did, Daniel, what did David do? You remember, he put him to death. Because he said, probably lied, but he said he killed Saul himself. And brought the crown to David. So what does David do with these two men? In chapter 4, he does the same thing. See, they had cut off his head and brought it to David. It was a shaming act. It was to humiliate him and his family. And so you know what David did in response? He cut off their hands and their feet and had them plastered on a wall. Now, was that the right thing to do? Was that the God-honoring thing to do for David? But once again, what is David doing? He's letting, he's letting Israel and letting everybody know, I had nothing to do with this. This wasn't my plan. This wasn't my idea. Terrible. And these men have been punished. Justice has been served. Each of these three incidences are difficult to know if David did what was right. They're difficult situations. But as I'm reading through this, I, I just think about our lives. Our lives are difficult, aren't they? We want happy ever after endings. We love it, as they say in the A-team, when a plan comes together, right? We want things to go well, but we don't live in fantasy world. We live in a real world, and our lives are messy. Until Jesus comes back to make things right, life is oftentimes messy. So how do we apply this to our lives? This narrative Old Testament text. I think firstly we, we have to remember that God's will won't be thwarted. His will will be done in our lives and in our friends' lives. I mean the house of David is growing stronger and stronger and there's nothing that you can stop. No, there's no way to stop that. David's going to be king as we see the house of Saul being weaker and weaker. The Lord, we, we know from the New Testament that the Lord Jesus is going to come back, isn't He? He tells us, the Scriptures tell us that He'll come back and incredible things are going to happen, right? Those who have, are in Christ, who have gone before us, they'll, they'll meet the Lord and those that are still on the earth alive will meet the Lord in the air and everything will be made right. Yeah, that's going to happen. Nothing can thwart God's plan. Yeah, God is sovereign. He's going to do what He says He will do. And nothing can, can stop that. And for, for me, as a believer, that's comforting. To know the work that He began in me, He's going to finish. All the promises that He has given to us are sure to come to pass. Secondly, so remember that, that God is sovereign. And we've seen that time and time and time again. His will will be done. The second thing is, even though God's will is going to be done, we have to expect divine delays. You know, God's timing is not our timing. But God is always on time. You've heard that before, haven't you? I mean, for some of you, you're, you're, you've been praying for a, a wife or for a, 
husband. Some of you have been maybe praying for physical healing, maybe promotion that will provide you a better job, more money for your family. Some of you have been praying for a new job. You're miserable where you are, but you can't move until you find something different. Some of you, maybe you're, you've been asking to conceive a child. You want a baby. That hasn't happened yet, but God's will is going to come to pass, but we can expect divine delays. Let's remember that. And thirdly, that whole Disney World thing, right? We live in the real world. God in His grace, He works redemptively even amidst all the mess. But our lives are messy, huh? I mean, this story, the story of redemption, it, it, I mean, if we had to write the Bible, you know, if we had to put all this story together, it, never, it, wouldn't, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't be this way. I mean, we wouldn't have Michael going back to David. I mean, he had six wives. That's a little messy. That's difficult. Is that the right thing? It's not. It's messy, you know? We wouldn't write it this way. We wouldn't have all these things happen that are sinful and... But our lives are like that, aren't they? I mean, we have this thing, you know, you, you think about your life and how you want your life to go and, you know, you want this many kids and you're going you're gonna to love your wife, she's going to love you, you're going to raise your kids, they're all going to come to know the Jesus and we're, it's all just going to be good. That doesn't happen like that, does it? Sometimes our husbands fail us and our wives leave us and our children go astray. Sometimes we get sick and we lose a limb or we get cancer. Some of you grandparents are raising grandchildren. Some of you, you don't have just kids, you have stepkids. Some of you are working through, in your marriages, infidelity. Some of you are struggling with prescription drug addiction. Some of you are living with people who are very difficult to live with. Some of you are dealing with the disappointments of having a, a record that keeps you from getting good work and doing other things that would benefit your family. That's life, isn't it? All that fairy tale, we go to Disney. That's why we go to Disney World. Everything's new. It looks brand new. The rails, the rails look like they were put in yesterday. The pavement, everything's just brand new because you go there and it's like this escape from the real world. That's why you pay half a million dollars, right, to go and to take your family of four. What would it cost for six of us to go? Half a million. <laughs> half a million. Yeah, a lot of money. Yeah, that's why you go, because it's an escape, because it's not reality. It's not reality. Your lives are messed up. Not, this isn't what I dreamt. This isn't what I pictured. This isn't what I imagined was the way it's going to be. So what do we do? Right here, right where we are, we just live life, and we obey the Lord. And we trust that Lord is, is working out His redemptive plan 
despite the messiness. I mean, some of us, our lives are just messed up. This isn't how I planned it. But then you read the Bible. You know what? Man, these people's lives. David, a man after God's own heart, his life was messed up. So this, yeah, life's messy. Sometimes, you know, kids come over our house, you know, and I'm the preacher, right? And, you know, you know preachers don't, don't have it all, all together. But you want them to have it kind of together sometimes, right? But then kids come over and, you know, we're at our house and the preacher loses his temper. Or the, te- the, pre- the, the preacher spanks some tail, you know, spanks hiney. Like, man, their family, their family's just as jacked up as ours. Like, yeah, it is. We, we, the preacher and the preacher's wife, not very often, but the preacher's wife sometimes get in the flesh, right? And the preacher's kids, sometimes they don't do what they're told. Yeah, our lives are messed up, you know? It's just the way it is. We're, yeah, I'm, I'm on my second marriage. I'm not on my first. I've got stepkids. Yeah, I'm, I live with grandma and granddaddy and not mom and dad. Yeah, it's just, lives are messy. So what do we do? We just trust the Lord. My life's not ideal. We don't have it all together. But you know what? Despite all of this craziness, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to trust the Lord and I'm going to obey the Lord today. Can't change the past. I can't change my whoever in my life that's, wrecked it. I can't fix this person's problem. So what do we do? We just obey the Lord. And we live our lives for His glory. And we try to live our lives in a way that pleases Him. And you know what? Despite the craziness in life, we really can. If, we're, if we live repentant lives, keeping short accounts, confessing, repenting, you know what we can do? Even though we blow it, I was just going to drink two beers and I drank a 12-pack. Lord, forgive me. That's wrong. Help me not to do that today. So what do we do? We just obey the Lord. Lord, I was angry and I screamed and yelled and I was throwing. Lord, I'm so wrong. Forgive me. Give me grace today. Help me love my wife. Help me love my husband. Help me love my kids. Help me love my coworkers and help me treat them rightly today. You know what, Um, even though our lives are messy and not like they should be, you know what happens? Even amidst that, the Lord, we can have joy. We can have purpose for our lives and we can give Him glory. So let's do that. Let's just live for the Lord and give Him glory. And let's just live our lives in such a way that when we get to know people and they see us and they think we've got it all together. And then when you start really, they're telling you their issues. And you say, you know what? I've got some of those same issues. You know about my life? Blah, 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 blah. And they go, I never would have dreamt that. Like, yeah. Even amidst the messiness and the chaos and the craziness of life. God's still good to me. And I'm, by His grace, I'm going to be good to Him. I mean, who's really got it together? I mean, that's why we're here today, right? We say that all the time as Patsy. We come to church because we don't have it together because we're needy and we need each other. So let's just keep doing that. 
Sometimes we're running and we're doing well. Sometimes we're just limping along, right? But let's just arm in arm, hand in hand. Let's just live life together and let's give God glory. Let's give God glory, okay? Maybe you're here and your life's chaos and, and a mess because, because you're, you've been in rebellion against the Lord your whole life, but yet you've never, you've never repented of your sin. You've never turned from your sin and you've never trusted Christ's work on the cross as your own. Jesus, He came 2,000 years ago and He took on flesh and He lived this life that we can't live, obeying the Lord perfectly. We need His life. In order to have a relationship with the Lord, we need His life. And after He lived that perfect life, He willingly gave up His life on the cross and He was punished for sinners. He died the death we had to die. He lived the life, He died the, die, he died the death. And, and we, because God is merciful and gracious, we can, we can turn from our sin and we can trust His work on the cross as our own. He died for me, He rose from the dead for me, and one day He's coming back for me. Even though my life's so messy, God knows all about your life. He knows about all of it. And you know what? He wants you to obey and give God glory. So let's do that. If you've never repented and trusted Christ, I want to encourage you, just cry out to the Lord. Lord, I'm, I'm a sinner. I've rebelled against you. I deserve everything that your Scripture promises a sinner to receive. I, 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 I should receive your wrath for all eternity in hell. But tell him something like this. God, but you... you Sacrificed your son Jesus. He died and he, he rose from the dead on the, on the third day so that I could be forgiven. So Lord, would you forgive me? Tell the Lord I repent. I, I want to live for you. I want to live for you. Begging you. If you never repented, repent. And trust Christ today. If you want to talk about that, I'd love to talk about that with you. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your word. And Lord, we, we read these scriptures and sometimes we don't know what to do with them. David, he's, he's, he's this anointed man that you set to lead your people Israel. And yet he, he does these things and we're not sure if they're even right or not. But Lord, we're thankful that you give us your word. And Lord, you're not telling us what should have happened. You told, you're, you're telling us in your word what, what did happen in David's life. And in Abner's life and Joab's life. And Lord, we're thankful for that. Lord, it's not cut and dry and all cut and clean, squeaky clean. Lord, it's messy, but our lives are messy. And Lord, we've made bad decisions in the past. And people that, that, that we know and live with and, and, and love, they've made bad decisions in, in, in the past. And right now, my life's a little bit of a mess. It's not ideal. But Father, we're thankful that you have a book full of people who come from messy situations and Lord some of them it's, it's because of their own sin and some of them it's because of, of the sin of a, of a friend or a family member or someone else but God I'm thankful that you redeem sinful people that you've saved so many in this room there's so many testimonies in this room of your grace and mercy we're thankful for that and Father I pray for our people Lord who even hearing this message there stirs up within them this past and this for some guilt, for some anger, for some bitterness. Lord, I pray that you would be gracious to each and every one. 
Lord, that they would see their lives the way you see them. And Lord, they would recognize that everything above hell is a privilege for each and every one of us. Father, may they recognize that. Lord, if they've yet to repent, Father, may you grant them faith and repentance even today. Father, I pray for lost people that are here, that they would be saved, for children, for students, for adults. Father, I pray that you would save people. You're so good. Father, would you, would you let sinners today experience your goodness by saving souls? Father, for us as a church, Lord, may we love each other more faithfully. Lord, as we lock arms and, and, and hold hands and live life, sometimes, Lord, we limp because our lives are so messy and we just struggle to obey you. But, Father, may we become, slowly but surely, more and more, day after day, week after week, may we become a biblical church that loves one another and loves you and loves the lost. Father, we're thankful that we get to come and, and do small group and, and worship and sing and be led in prayer. Lord, what a, what a blessing that he is. And Father, as we go over to the Family Life Center and we eat, we're thankful for all those who've cooked, for the men, for the women who've given up their money and time and to cook this good food. Father, may we eat it and be thankful for your blessings on our lives. Father, may we get to know one another better today. May we learn to love each other more faithfully, more deeply. Lord, as we think about all that's going on, small groups tonight, Wednesday night, Lord, we, we've got a lot of counseling appointments set up this week. We pray that you would bless our efforts, that your kingdom may be built up on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.